Almighty God, as we come to your throne of grace, we pray that we might hear your word and not the mouth of a vessel, but actually the spirit that comes from your heart and mind so that what we hear, what makes us change is nothing less than the Holy Spirit. And we'll give you all the glory, Lord. Amen. Now let's begin with that scripture passage. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19, our Lord is speaking. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, you, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then light is in, in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, as you've been reading through the entire Bible this last 75 or so days, you're making your way to the end now, and we're on that final stretch. We're into the Gospels, and so far we've heard Jesus speaking quite a bit. And one of the topics that hasn't changed from the Old Covenant to the New is the subject of Jubilee. As you recall, the Jubilee Clause of the Old Covenant is what tripped up the people of the Old Covenant worse than anything. It was the principal reason for the worst calamity that happened to the entire Old Testament people of God, which was their destruction as a nation. I don't know how to emphasize this more plainly than to say they were a superpower, much like the United States, albeit smaller, and within a matter of months, they became an abandoned, empty country, overrun by enemies. And all of this because God had decided it was time for them to pay up for all the years of Jubilee that they missed. Jubilee, as you recall, is the concept that God introduced saying that no one would hold on to their wealth indefinitely or their property or slaves, that God required that on a regular basis the people repaid debts, canceled debts, free slaves, and give the land a rest. And in an agricultural economy, giving the land a rest was basically a little bit like what happened during the pandemic year of 2020. A lot of businesses, a lot of this nation's uh, economy took a rest, whether it was desired or not. So in the New Testament, the Jubilee concept is as real as it was, and Jesus makes it clear by the number of times he talks about money. Jesus took direct 
aim at the problem of wealth and money. He talked about money more than he talked about heaven or hell. The only topic that got more press from Jesus than money was the kingdom of God. Jesus talked about money in 11 out of 39 parables and one in every seven verses in the Gospel of Luke addresses the topic of money. It was a big deal to Jesus, but let's not be mistaken to think that it's about money per se. It's much richer than that, but not complicated. Jesus is addressing money because money seems to be the principal thing that causes so much brokenness in one's relationship with God and relationship with each other. Now let's just own a couple of things right off the bat. What makes money so important anyway? Well, because money is what we all need in order to provide for the things that we require. Money pays for the food on our tables, it pays for the medicines we need, it pays for the health care we need, it pays for the gas in our cars, it is the, the way that we obtain the clothing that we wear. Money's important, but it's a tool. And what Jesus says in no uncertain ter terms is that you can't love money more than God. I mean, if money is a tool, then that would be as though I went to my garage and took out my favorite hammer and set it on an altar and worshiped it. That, that's what he's trying to say here, is that money is a tool and it isn't an idol. Now, in the spirit of Jubilee, we're instructed by Jesus to understand that God still cares deeply about that Jubilee clause of the covenant. The difference is, is God has personally taken care of it now so that the account that's owed to God is settled through Jesus. But as Jesus teaches very plainly, we are still supposed to live the Jubilee covenant, that it's no longer a rigid ritual of certain number of years and so forth. It's a concept that Jesus enacted and then imparted to us through the Holy Spirit. And it's a frame of mind that we are to adopt. And this makes all the difference. Now, many people have said to me over the years, I don't like going to churches where they're always talking about money. Well, that's usually because the message from up front is, is we need more of your money give more money to the church. Well, I just realized today that next Sunday will mark the beginning of my fifth year as your pastor, which is pretty amazing to me that it's been four years already. And if you've been listening for the last four years, you'll notice I don't talk to you much about your money and how much we need it here at the church. I assume that if I preach the gospel, the spirit of God takes care of the rest. And so far it seems to work out pretty well. This is not about that. This is our Lord teaching us the concept of Jubilee that is so important to God that God punished Israel severely for ignoring it and Jesus corrects the problem as far as it goes in our relationship with God, but he does not release us from responsibility for Jubilee. Now let's just talk about money for a minute. Money is a tool. It's a transitionary or transactional tool. It means that you have something 
that I need or desire in order to enrich my life. And so I give you something you need or desire in exchange for that. So that what we're doing is relational. And this is the first and foremost important concept to remember about how God views money, how our Lord Jesus views money. Money is a means for the interaction between people. Money's a tool we use relationally. Let me put it to you this way. When I get my paycheck, I prefer to think that it is a certificate of appreciation from grateful people for a job well done. And if I write paychecks and give them to the people that I'm responsible to pay, I give it to them as a certificate of appreciation for a job well done. I have a journey that I'm on and they enrich my life by helping me fulfill the goals along the way. And so it is my pleasure to give them something of value in exchange for the value that they've given me. That's the way we can look at money in a biblical sense. But listen, I've worked for people, I, I'm old and I've been around and I can tell you, I've worked for people who acted like giving me my paycheck was something that they really didn't want to do. That for them, it was a necessary evil in order to get what they wanted. And so in their mind, it was all about getting what they wanted. And unfortunately, they had to pay this poor schmuck to help them do it. And it just didn't come across as something of any value to them, just something that they had to pay. They look at paying their employees the same way they look at paying taxes. See the difference in the mindset? Money is about relationships. Money is about the exchange of goods and services between people. And when it serves those relationships so that both parties end up blessed, then money's a good thing. In the same way, the money that you give to the church and in the way that it is used to enhance and enrich the lives of not only the people who worship here, but for the whole community to be enriched because we're here, then money becomes an expression of relational love. That's why we say in our vision statement that we want this place to be vital to the well-being of the people of this community through Christian discipleship. In other words, our discipleship is an act of love and grace given to us from Christ through the Holy Spirit that we then impart through the way that we try to generously enrich the lives of people in this community. In which case, all the money that changes hands in order to make that happen is an instrument of grace, an instrument of God's will in this community. Now that's a whole different perspective and that's exactly what Jesus' point is, is that you can't love money more than God and expect to be in God's grace. Some of you reading the Bible in 90 days, I know, especially those of us who are doing it with the audio recordings, we're listening to the Bible in 90 days. And some of us have probably had the experience as we've been through the first three gospels of thinking, wait a minute. Did I hit the wrong button and play last week's message today? Did I play? Because you hear the same stories three times over. The first three gospels are called the synoptics because they are parallels to each other. They all carry certain 
stories and things that you heard in the other Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all telling you some of the same stories and the sayings of Jesus, but they're putting them in a different context, and they're trying to show you something from their unique perspective about our Lord. But the stories still get repeated because they're worth hearing more than once. And guess what story you've heard three times? Jesus says that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a person who worships their money to get into heaven. And by the way, some people have probably heard it said that he's referring to a place in the wall of the city that's very difficult for camels to get through. That actually dates back to the Middle Ages. It doesn't actually date back to the time of Jesus. Jesus was saying, without exception, if you worship money, you can't get into heaven. That's what he's saying. If you love money more than the Lord, you cannot expect to get into heaven. Now, that sounds kind of absolute and certain, but let's just talk about that for a second. Remember in this passage we just read how he said the eye reveals what's inside? You know why he mentions the eye? The Bible talks a lot about the eyes. In the Old Testament, the eyes and the ears are, are uh, uh, distinguished in that it was the eye of Eve that convinced her to eat the forbidden fruit. Her ears heard the admonition, don't do it, <laughs> but her eyes saw how delicious it looked. And so her eyes deceived her. Jesus is now referring to how the eyes can reflect light or they can reflect darkness inside. And when, they, uh, when he says this, what he's trying to say is, is if you want everything you see, and if you see to it that you get everything you see, everything you desire, then you're in trouble because the eyes deceive you. Truth comes through your ears. You will notice, for example, in our media in the world today that some of the strongest conservative voices you hear are in the audio format and some of the strongest liberal uh, information you hear is in the video format. Pay attention to that now. Now that I've shared it with you, the devil likes to work with your eyes. The Lord speaks truth to your ear. Close your eyes once in a while and just listen for the voice of God, especially when your eyes are looking at something you desire but may not need and perhaps would be in deep trouble if you had. Jesus wants us to understand that wealth and money are meant to enrich relationships or to put it in a simpler way. And you can write this one down. People matter more than things to God. In God's economy, people matter more than things. The things we have can either connect us with other people or they can separate us from other people. Let's face it, and, and this, this may hit home with some of you, and I apologize if it wounds you, but this is the truth. I've even contemplated this one myself. If I had money, what would I do? And one of the first things most of us think is, is well, the first thing I do is get a house with some property on it so there's a little bit of distance between me and my neighbors. 
What do people with money generally do? They get a big house and a big yard to separate them a little further from their neighbors. And, and I would just say that it's kind of ironic, really, that much of what we do with our money involves putting up fences between us and our neighbors. It's a, it's a sign, but not necessarily a sickness. So think that over. Because what God wants us to understand is that relationships are more important than stuff. And that stuff can either help us to be in a better relationship with others, or it can serve as a barrier between us and others. People matter more than things. God desires that we would invest heavily in our relationship with God and in our relationships with each other. That's the real point of Jubilee. The reason they couldn't keep the Jubilee covenant in the Old Testament was because they knew precisely what it would cost them. They understood exactly what was at stake. If they kept the Jubilee covenant, they were going to cancel debts. They were going to set slaves or indentured servants free. They were going to give back land that they had taken or had purchased that wasn't their ancestral land. They were gonna give the land a rest. In other words, they were gonna stop their personal economy for a couple of years and then trust that God would restart it for them, which meant that they had little faith in God and even less faith in each other. And it was easier not to keep the Jubilee covenant, which is why they didn't. And this is unfortunately the essence of greed and oppression. Now, you've heard me say this before, but it bears repeating because it's at the heart of this discussion of money and things. Indebtedness separates us from each other, especially in families. You know, Dave Ramsey says in the Financial Peace University that if you decide to give money to a relative, you probably loan money to a relative, you probably ought to just make it a gift. Because as long as you have an outstanding debt, Thanksgiving dinner just never quite tastes the same. That's something Dave Ramsey says that's worth repeating because what it really means is, is that if you're holding an account of a financial burden against especially a family member, and of course God views us all as family, and that's why he said that, that they sh uh, the people of the Old Covenant should never charge their countrymen interest because as far as he was concerned, they were all family. And so... You can't really be at peace with somebody as long as you're aware that they still owe you something. It'll separate you. Really, it's not just about money. And so where this really starts to hit home in all of our lives is that wherever we are holding someone accountable for something that we feel they owe us, we are separating ourselves from that person. And that separation is a form of interest and debt. If you still hold someone accountable for something that they did or said a long time ago that they've long forgotten, but you're still angry about it, then it's as though you're holding open an account that they were supposed to pay into, but they never have, and you keep thinking that they will eventually or that they should. And then you get angrier and angrier when you realize that they don't even know that they owe you or they don't care. 
And so forgiveness becomes a form of debt cancellation. Forgiveness becomes a jubilee moment in our lives when we say, I don't care what I once held against you. Now you owe me nothing. You see, as long as you wait for someone to make amends for some cost that they've inflicted upon your life, you will always be the one who suffers the worst. When you forgive it, you will be the one who benefits the most. Jesus put it this way. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. 10,000 bags of gold. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his own fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt that you, of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 18. This is how he feels about us and debt, about people and things. You see, the Lord cares more about people than things, more about relationships than money. And when we put money ahead of our relationship with God and our relationship with each other, we pay a terrible price for it. When God isn't at the top of our priority list, then there's a very good chance that relationships with others aren't very high up on our list either. Yet when Jesus was pressed to find, kind of sum up what the whole law of Moses was about, he said it's really very simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself with your money with your things. Relationships are more important. I'll give you one more illustration that Jesus gave us. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15 and verse 11, Jesus tells this very familiar and magnificent parable. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. 
And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still along the way, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Listen to that story. And what do you hear? Is it a story about a kid who took a big chunk of his father's wealth and wasted it? Or is it a story about relationships that were broken and then restored? Is the father concerned about what the son owes him or is he just glad that his son who had died to his family, to his upbringing, had been restored? God cares more about relationships than money. And when money separates us from each other, it damages our relationship with God as much as it damages our relationship with each other. Money is a tool. And it is a tool that some of us use pretty much from hand to mouth. We, we make some money, we buy what we need, we make some more money and buy some more of what we need. And some of us are very fortunate to be prosperous and to generate greater income and greater wealth. And it isn't your things or the amount of money in your bank account that determines the health of your relationship with God. It's your attitude towards those things. It's your attitude towards your neighbors. That's what settles your relationship with God in the long run. It won't be impossible for you to enter God's grace because you might be wealthy any more than it will be impossible because you're poor. What will determine your place in God's beautiful economy is your heart towards God and your heart towards your neighbor. And if you happen to have been blessed with prosperity and wealth, all that God would demand of you is that you not become so attached to it that it becomes an object of worship, something that you're unwilling or afraid to give away. As it has been said and kind of tongue in cheek, but altogether true, when the richest man in the world leaves this earth, someone might say, how much did they leave behind? And the answer appropriately is all of it. It won't matter how much you have the day you die. Your spirit will leave it all behind and either dwell in God's grace in a place Jesus called paradise or dwell in a place of sorrow and suffering. And it has everything to do with your heart. Let us pray.
Almighty God, I thank you for your word. I pray that as we've heard you speak, our spirits have been stirred to obedience, that we found a, a need to be humble and submissive to you so that our relationship with you would be altogether healthy and that it would be reflected in a jubilee relationship with our friends and family and neighbors and community. For your sake, we pray. Amen. Amen.